podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to a brand new show on Anfield Index, Buzz. This is the first episode of this brand new entertainment podcast that's going to be on uh, Anfield Index on our apps and uh, it will have its own feed as well. So um, hopefully you guys, if you're clicking from Twitter or from uh, Facebook or wherever you're listening to this from, you can go and find us on all the normal, all the usual podcast providers and on Acast, acast.com forward slash buzz. Um, so what is it? Basically, Anfield Index has had so many entertainment podcasts, different ones. There was the comic pod, there was movie night, there was uh, on the box and they were all separate and over time and because of, you know, focus on our subscription model, AI Pro, we kind of lost our way in providing those shows and, um, you know, with some regular regularity. So I thought we'd put one together, covering everything, talking about what's buzzing, what's the buzz out there, what's what, what we're gonna, you know, what's a buzz kill? And we thought, I thought, I thought I'd call it buzz. And um, so this is the first episode of Buzz, and we'll be talking about comics, TV shows, movies, comic book movies, anything, anything goes pretty much on buzz, anything that there can be a buzz about. So today. Today on the first one, it's quite fitting because the month of April is going to be huge, huge for entertainment. And one of the biggest, biggest shows on television maybe ever, ever is Game of Thrones. And joining me to do, to do a little bit of a season one to seven rewind on Game of Thrones is Scott Chandler, writer on Anfield Index and podcaster as well. Scott, welcome. Oh, it's fantastic to be here for the first Bud po- Buzz podcast. <laughs> the like first you said, Bud, almost, almost yeah, called Bud. it Bud podcast. We're, we're now going to become a beer, beer pod. <laughs> I feel like I need a couple Bud Lights. I'm going to play the Tyrion <laughs> role. I'm going to, I'm here to drink and because I know things. You know things. You know things. Well, you know what? That's, uh, that, that whets the appetite. I think there's so much to talk about in seasons one to seven. But before we start, mate, this is, in my opinion, the biggest, the biggest show on TV and uh, one of my, maybe my favorites of all time, but it's based on a series of books. Did you read them to start with? I did not start out as a book reader. I really came to the show late, it, which is funny because, you know, I think like you and a lot of people who are on, you know, the former on the box podcast and things like that, and we'll be on buzz podcast going forward you know I, th- I love this culture the nerd culture i grew up with star wars star trek lord of the rings I, fantasy sci-fi all that stuff and now with how obsessed i am with game of thrones I, I really don't know why i waited so long but you know my brother kept making fun of me that i wasn't watching it and finally before you know the epic season three i finally started watching uh the, i caught up real quick with the seasons one and two you know i watched that first episode and your head is just swimming. There's so many names and there's so many places and it, it's overwhelming. But, you know, I was hooked. You know, it's funny to say this. I was hooked when Jamie pushes Bran out the window. And from that moment, it seems a crazy thing to say, you know, what a terrible thing it was. But I knew there was something special. You know, this is a, it would, a show that would take chances. So right from that first episode, I became hooked. And then after I watched the uh, seasons one and two, I started staying behind the show with the books to kind of expand it because I wanted to get my hands on everything. And now I have Game of Thrones books, Game of Thrones shirts, gear, everything you can think of I've gotten my hands on. So that's where the obsession began for me. But what about you? For me, it was, I think, season... I think season four was about to start. So I had to catch up on three seasons. Before I before I um, started watching, I'd missed three seasons, and there were people telling me how good this was, how amazing it was, and you've got to watch it. 
And then as soon as um, I did catch up with season three, I was totally hooked by then. Totally, totally. And I think season four had started, so I was catching up with that. And uh, yeah, so... That That's point, a great time to jump in. I mean, season now, three you, was yeah massive. Were you able to avoid the spoiler though? For yeah, the wedding. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, it. yeah. No spoilers at all. Uh, at that time, right? I don't think it had taken off. I don't think it had taken off in the UK as much as it had. You know, the prior, then four, five, and six. I think. I think the red wedding is what pushed it to the next level. Personally. I think people it was. watched that and then they went, Oh my God, there's no holding back in this show. There's literally no holding back in what episode nine of every show, shall we say? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the show really kind of, I mean, when you hear the creators, uh, DB Weiss and David Benioff, they talked about they wanted to make the show because of the red wedding. And, and yeah, I mean, there was big moments in season one and obviously we'll get to a lot of those moments. So but they've actually said that they wanted to make it because of that alone. Yeah, that was, well, maybe not that alone. It was because it was the sprawling epic, but they said when they wanted to start, it was that episode that they had in mind. And so that moment, that episode is really a turning point. You know, the show is building up to that moment for the first three seasons. And then, you know, season four is, in my mind, the best season. But then it becomes something different. Then it starts expanding. But, you know, that was, like you said, that was a flashpoint moment. That's when it really became this huge thing. And, you know, it was cool being in the moment and not, being a book reader because book readers, you know, it was huge for them, but it was huge for them 10 plus years ago. But for all of us show watchers, that's the first time and you're experiencing the moment you, your head is about to explode. And that's why, you know, it became a viral moment with all those videos of people videotaping their friends and they don't know their mouth is open. They don't know what to do. So I'm, I'm proud that you were able to avoid spoilers because it felt like when the red wedding happened in 2013, I remember that in June. I just felt like that was all the people were talking about all the time. So yeah. maybe being across, it was, it across was, the pond helped out. It was the Red Wedding that basically got my friends to say, look, there's a lot of buzz about this show. You need to, you need to watch it. You need to watch it. You love TV. How are you not watching it? And I was like, I've heard of it and I've heard of people going on about it, but I've never paid too much attention. It's just something that I haven't got into. But once I get some time, plus with AI, it was just dead busy and work. So, but as soon as that time came, wow, you know, they, that was it. It was, it, I was, I was absolutely hooked in. And I think the first, I mean, what we, I mean, how has it changed? What were your first impressions when you watched it? And, um, and, and then how do you think it's changed over the seasons? Well, yeah, like I said at the the top, you know, one of the things for me is this was a type of show and a type of story that just fit into everything that I had kind of loved before. You know, I, I love Lord of the Rings, all these sprawling epics, you know, fan of history and the, the world that George R. R. Martin built. You know, he, he wrote the books because he never wanted them to be adapted into film or TV. And somehow how to do it. And when you watch that first episode, there's just so much going on. I mean, they have to do so much exposition and so much load bearing just these characters but you know when you watch the pilot again i think rewatch it four or five times now you did a rewatch recently when you rewatch it it's pretty impressive how they lay the groundwork for everything's to come i mean there are moments in the first episode that foreshadow things down the road and you, you have these Amazing. people that come together and you see them for the first time and that may be the only time they're in the show together yeah. until five years down the road. And no, I think you know, that's the first, I think that's the first time and the only time all of them characters are together because Ned's there. So yeah. he doesn't, you know, you're not going to get that together again. So that first scene, that first episode where they're all in there together and they're partying and stuff or they're having a feast for them. That is the first time and probably the only time the entire cast, original cast, is together. That's pretty special. Yeah, that's and that's why special. Dragon and the Wolf was so cool is because, yeah, you didn't have characters like Ned, but obviously Danny wasn't there in season one in Westeros. But you get a different... It, it's almost like a bookend between seasons one and seven, and yeah. that was so cool. It was the only other moment in the series so far that you've had that many main characters in one area or one scene. and Together. And, yeah, to have them together and interacting, and you know, Not we still haven't that. seen. We'll, we'll get there, but how the how their histories have unfolded, like you know, how how their journeys have unfolded to where they are now, but they'd all crossed paths before in a way or not, you know, in a way. 
like Podrick, you know, he's, he's now with, with, um, Brienne, but, you know, he was with the other guys first, and it's just hilarious how they're all in three different places. They were all together, but now they're in three different camps. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. Like when they came together in the seventh, it was such a brilliant moment, beautiful moment, I thought. It was fantastic, and those are the type of things I think you're talking about in season seven, where, but, Obviously, we're getting too far ahead of ourselves in season seven. Um, from my point of view, I think it's changed heavily because I thought it was much more, much more, hmm, how do you say it? Haddock, it was, it was more porn, basically. There was more <laughs> porn for the first four or five seasons, let's say. So I think that's, changed and the pacing has definitely changed in season six and seven i think they had to really up the pace make it quicker make it move because obviously there's loads of time things moving in the next in the last two seasons in terms of how many months or years have gone past so i I do think they had to really up the pace um but before that in the first half they really built well i thought it was more about building especially season one when you go back and watch it the amount of references to, you know, um, you, you know, John as a bastard and how the king, Rob, uh, Robert is saying, you know, the, this Targaryen girl, we need to kill her and her brother and this and that. And, uh, if there was a Targaryen on this side of the world, you know, I'd, I'd, they'd be dead by now. And like Ned's face when he says it, it only hits home. When you watch it again, because he knows that he's got a Targaryen living and, and you tell me, right, where, in which world would Ned send his own son to, to the, to, to the black? Where? No way. No way would he send his own son to the black. The only reason he's sending him to the wall is because he wants him to be renounced of all his names and so that he's protected. It's basically like, um, you know, the, 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 the meister that's, the meister that's there is basically saying, you're safe now. They can't touch you because if anyone does ever find out in any way, you're pretty much, you, you've, you've renounced, you've taken it, you know, Aemon, wasn't it? Aemon was there. So he's given up his name. Yeah. So no one's touching him because he's a Targaryen, but he's, he's given up his name. So the same thing he's done with John to Preeley to protect him at that point. And that only hits home when you've watched all seven. And then you come back and you go, shit, yeah, that's true. You know, John, why would Ned send his son to the wall? Why? Even if he's a bastard, why would he send him? He wouldn't. And so the reason why he sent him and was happy for him to go was because he was protecting him. Totally, totally protecting him from from Robert and the name and his name. He didn't want, his, if his name ever got out, the first thing that they do is kill him. Oh, 100%. I mean, and that's what's, so great about the show is when you rewatch it and you watch that first season, it's it, like, remember when he's, they're walking away from Winterfell and he looks at John and he's like, you may not have my name, but you have my blood. And it's that twinge there too. It's, you know, because we, we, we know him as this is the bastard son, but we don't know his true parentage. And it's, it's a, tr- what Ned says in that moment is absolutely true, but it's not the whole truth. You know, it's kind of like from Star Wars when Obi-Wan Kenobi says, from a certain point of view. Well, from a certain point of view, John is absolutely a Stark, but his real last name is Targaryen. And that's exactly why Ned is encouraging him and, and is all about him going to the Wall, because Aemon Targaryen could have had a claim to the throne. But by going to the Wall, you give up all that right and you're no longer a threat. It's literally the only way that really would have, you know, had Robert lived and even if that, you know, his true parentage came out one day, it would have been the only thing to keep Robert from wanting to kill him. Well, he's at the Night's Watch now. He's not a threat. But it's that world building. It's it's this expansion you have to you know, put all these characters and lay the groundwork and give the backwards detail. And, and a lot of, you know, people have a problem with some of the Marvel movies because, yeah, it's a lot of exposition. It's a lot of backstory. But the way they, they do it over 10 episodes in the first season, and really it expands for two, three, four seasons before it starts to contract and the pacing becomes frenetic. I mean, that was what was so impressive. You know, it's 
some of the differences early on, you know, that first season, you don't get the battle of the whispering wood where Rob defeated Jamie. I mean, if that happened in season four, five, six, we would have seen a whole battle scene. So they had to do it on a limited budget, but yeah. that's what was so impressive is they laid the groundwork for these scenes, these characters, these backstories, these histories. And it's, it was, it's really impressive. I mean, season one is, I mean, yeah, there are other moments You're right. they have. They cut, more the, they cut the whole battle scene, don't they? They just go to the winning bit. That's it. That's Pretty it. Much. We've won, yeah. And they, they roll Jamie out and throw him on the ground. You know, we don't see much of Tyrion's battle where he gets hit on the head and we don't see any of that where the Lannister forces, you know, that's the first real skirmish of the war. You don't see that. And yeah, yeah. you probably would have, you know, that's probably more budgetary, but you know, they also cut up some things. Do we need to see it? No. I mean, it would have been nice to see Battle of the Whispering Wood. It would have been nice to see some of those things, but as we'll get to later, we see Hardhome. Hardhome's not in the books. That scene is not, I mean, that is one of, so there are things that are not in the books mm. and for all the mistakes that Benioff and Weiss have made, and there are some, and we'll get to those, what is so impressive is what they've done on screen and some of the changes have really been been beautiful. And when hard you watch that for Hard home when we get there. I mean, that's magnificent. Magnificent. I know. But we'll we'll get there. And I think that I think you're right about the budget. The budget makes a big difference as it became more popular. Like we said, once it got into season four, five, six, you see the budget growing, you see and even actually in six they said, um, you know, in seven they said, look, we had to use the budget on the dragons. We couldn't have the we couldn't have the direwolves in, you know. <laughs> Which was hilarious. But obviously it's a lot of money, isn't it? It's a lot of money. And also, where do they fit them in in the story? So, I thought I thought that was fair enough. Obviously, the dragons the dragons have grown, and uh, in every way in the show in terms of size, but then in in involvement as well, which has been brilliant. So um, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. So let's talk about characters then. Let's move into characters. We're already a quarter way through the pod, and uh, we haven't even got to any of the characters. And so, what do you think has changed really most, and what current what what characters have maybe changed the least? For you, well, I think the the most when you look back on the story, and I said what really hooked me to the show was just, when Game of Thrones is a is a story about characters and about moments and these huge epic moments that chances that other shows wouldn't take and wouldn't hit the accelerator. And for me, that was Jamie pushing Bran out the window. You know, you don't that was something I don't think we've seen on television before, and you wouldn't expect. But Jamie is this classic. 1980s movie villain. He's Billy Zabka. You know, it's, it's the karate kid. It's, you know, it's the jerk blonde kid who's too good looking, too popular, too talented. And that's what Jamie, the finest swordsman. He's a Kingsguard. He's a Lannister from the richest. Richest, yeah. He's the, the stereotypical the, the kid, person. The spoiled hate. kid. Yeah, the spoiled kid. You know, the rich dad. Yeah, man. you just, you can't, you can't. Oh. He's terrible. He's terrible. And that's what is so great about Joffrey and why he's one of the greatest villains is because he's like that. He has all the worst elements of Jamie, you know, without all, but even less entitled because he's not a great swordsman. He's not, he really has no talent. All he has is a name and gold hair. I mean, that is literally all he has. I mean, but Jamie, I mean, that is what, Jamie is one of the, probably the best characters of the whole show is because of his transformation, the way he starts and, and, and everyone has that visceral feeling towards him. But then think about that transformative moment in season three in the episode where he's with Brienne and the bass um, at Harrenhal. And he's telling his backstory about how Ned Stark discovered him and how he became the Kingslayer, but he discovered him in the throne room. But he didn't do that to, you know, to just take power. He did that to save his family because the Mad King wanted Jamie to kill Tywin. He did that to save the city from he all did. burning and wildfire. He, did. he was, he's used, it's used as like, um, I think to knock him, Kingslayer, when people call him Kingslayer, they're actually trying to say in a way that's mocking him. You know that he did it from behind as well. It's trying to be, they're trying to jive at him at times and he carries it as a jibe at times as well. Do you know what I mean? It's not, I don't think he ever shows off about being the Kingslayer. If you notice, ever. Doesn't no, he tells Brienne to call him Jamie, and, and it's almost like that part where Tyrion says, you know, people are going to call you names, wear it like a suit of armor, and that's sort of what Jamie has done. He's like, yeah, I'm the Kingslayer, I and mean, everybody thinks I'm this oathbreaker, I'm this terrible person, but he knows the true secret. But it also haunts him as well, because deep down, yeah, he starts as this villain character who doesn't care about what other people think about him. All he cares about is he's the best swordsman, and he cares about his sister, who he obviously loves, and that's it. And while he loves well, his Well, let's be too, honest, but... he doesn't change until his hand's chopped off. Yeah, a little that bit of that. That humanizes I mean... <laughs> him the most, you know? 
He's a he's an absolute dickhead before that. Even in even when he's in captive, when he's when he's captive, he's a dickhead. He's an absolute dickhead. He kills people while he's there, you know. And he's trying to get out, and then they're treating him like shit. And the only time, even even when Brienne's got him, he is an absolute dickhead to her as well. Until oh, yeah, until yeah. he tries to save her, and then he gets he he. That's when he first. The humanizing happens just before his hands chopped off when he wants to save her and he makes that story up, you know, well, not makes it up, says whose daughter she is. And, uh, and then they chop his hand off. But that's the start then. That's where the U-turn starts for Jamie. And it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. You know, the whole thing with the bear, everything. It was just so good, wasn't it? The whole thing has been such a good ride for him. And then. You know, he's had some massive moments with the dragon as well. He's had one moment with the dragon as well, which was brilliant and broad. So, um, but I- oh yeah, it's a be- it's one of- it's a great buddy comedy. I mean, that's I mean, he's had so many moments. He had the, you know, almost the buddy comedy with him and Brienne, yeah. and then you know she brings him to King's Landing, and then he has sort of a similar relationship with Bronn. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. It- it's that turning point is when he gets his hand cut off. But I also thought it brought out some of what was already there because he's always had a love for Tyrion. He's always oh, had yes. a soft spot. Yes. Everybody is always, well, you know, Cersei obviously hates no, him. Tywin hates obviously him. hates him. But it, so there is, so there is something deep down where he, he does have heart. He is, there's some part of him that's a good person. And when he's stripped of, you know, the arrogance from his, you know, his sword hand and he has, mm. he, he gets knocked low. Now he's brought down a peg and he's brought down to almost Tyrion's level. And, and, you know, because he, everything he used to be, he's no longer a great swordsman. So what is he? And that's the way people look at Tyrion. You know, you're, you're, you're in it. You're the imp. You're a dwarf. Yeah. What, what worth are you? He's so I think he's a cripple with that. He's, he's, he's basically a crippled guy with, with got no, you know, he's got no talent then, and then he has to learn with his other hand. It's mad. It's Cripples, mad. bastards, and broken things. That's what he becomes. He becomes on that level, and so, but that's for me. That was the biggest transformation. It, you start with somebody who you absolutely despise, does something totally despicable, to now when season seven ends and he he's riding away from King's Landing, he's standing on principle. He's going to fight with the living. He's going to fight with the good guys, and you see he's. Yes, he's done despicable, horrible things to many people, but he's somebody you actually go to rooting for. I think that's a, a I think that's a great bit of storytelling, and it's a great bit of, of theater as well. Really good, yeah. It's been a really good ride, and you know, at the end as well, before he goes, she's threatening to kill him, and he says, "You know what? Showed some balls. Do it then. Do it." And then he and then they don't do it, and she walk and he walks out, and uh, you know, that, we'll talk about him more in in season. Uh, the season eight preview, which we're going to be doing as well after this one. Um, the second one uh, in your mind is Arya in terms of in terms of most changed. Um, why did you think Arya's the the second most changed? Then, well, I, I look at her and, and Sansa has a little bit of this too. Is you know you you take these characters and you're looking at how do they start and 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 how do they grow more into agency and you know i think that's easier to look at for the kids you know Arya and Sansa go with Ned i, I all-time terrible decision sending two young women um, from safety of Winterfell to the most dangerous place in the realm but you see Arya you know she's this tomboy she's she's not a lady her sister is but she's still trying to find her place in the world and some of that what she becomes is there. She's not going to just be somebody's wife and have kids. You know, she wants to be, you know, she knows the tales of Nymeria, the great warrior that came from Essos and went to Dorne and took her people, things like that. And that's why she names her direwolf Nymeria because that's, she knows all the tales of the dragons with uh, Aegon's dragons. And she tells Tywin in season two at Harrenhal because that's what she wants to be. She sees the boys. She's the better archer than Bran already in the first episode. And that transformation, when you see, well, what are the series of choices? She doesn't want to live that life. Now, granted, she's, you know, forced to be on the run and, you know, she gets taken capture, you know, at Harrenhal and has to be with the hound. But that transformation for her as a, a tomboy to a stone cold assassin, you know, is, is just pretty, pretty creative. I mean, she's, she's a completely different person in a lot of ways. And I think you can see that when Sansa and her meet up in season seven, Sansa almost doesn't recognize her. You know, it's it's pretty wild from how she gets from you know some girl who's a little bit wild but ever, but lovable to somebody who can kill out an entire family in the phrase. Yeah, the innocence is totally gone, and she's 
had her own journey. She's become something unbelievable, but she had to suffer a lot to get there as well. So it's an unbelievable, it's a, such an iconic character, uh, unbelievably iconic because, I mean, I know so many people and you won't believe it that have named their daughters Arya. That have, I do too. Yeah. Like they, she is, she is like, She's a huge, huge inspiration to people because she she was the one that always, even when she was with her dad in that first um, season, there were some beautiful scenes with Ned Stark where she's, um, you know, she's she's just saying, "Look, that's not for me. I'm not going to be this guy with this prince that's walking flailing around. I'm not. Give me the sword anytime, you know." And um, I, for one, can't wait for a re- reunion with John because that's two that. They've been apart the whole time, the whole time from season one, the first few episodes. And, uh, it's, I can't wait to see season eight when they get together. But the other stuff, she's had some great things with, uh, Tywin Lannister. There were some unbelievable scenes in, um, season, um, I think three and four was it? Maybe I think one of those, but, or, or two was it? I can't remember. It was two it, was with Tywin at that, yeah, at Heron Hall. She had some. Brilliant stuff at Harren Hall with him. They were that they were fantastic. She he knew he knew that she wasn't, you know, um, low. What what's it called? What do they call it? Lowborn. Yeah, she he he knew she wasn't lowborn. He just knew she was highborn because of the way she was speaking, holding things, talking. You know, just knew, and she would try and get. But he was impressed. It. Oh, he was impressed with her. He gave her, and you know, it's funny because he gave her moments that he almost didn't give to his own kids. It feels like every scene he has with Jamie, Cersei, or Tyrion, he's belittling them. Yeah, failed to live up to him. But in that moment, it's he's educating. He's telling her about legacy and about family. And I think he can see, you know, he, he asks her about her father, and obviously she doesn't tell him about Ned. But you know, she kind of tells half truths, little things. Yeah, he did teach her some things. He did do some of those things like that. So yeah, it, it's, it's an amazing transformation how she goes from that. And like you mentioned, so many people, I, I think Arya is their avatar in the story. Somebody who started in, you know, out in a very difficult situation, you know, they're, they, they're possibly poised to be somebody they don't want to be. Their family is putting something on them and it's about becoming who you want to be. And you have to go through the, all these trials. Everyone she, loves them. Like, everyone like yeah. men, women, everyone loves that character. They ask, they just love how she's grown into this badass. She really yeah. is. And plus, she lives out. She's saying what she actually is doing, what she said she would do. She has a list. And she's this, like you said, anything that's stone cold is popular, like so goes Steve Austin. But anything that's, <laughs> you know, that goes against the grain. Oh, this is a woman that's, this is a young woman now that's going to actually kill all these these legendary people in his, you know, in history, uh, obviously, as in within the story. And she, she has no, I mean, ah, oh man, what was his name? The guy that she kills in Bravos, um, that turns up. Uh, oh, Marin Trant. Marin, oh man, so Marin, so Marin. I always remember Tyrion going, so Marin. <laughs> Yeah, when Tyrion goes uh, in season two, when Sir Marin is beating Sansa in the throne room, and he looks at Bronn and he goes, "Bronn, if Sir Marin talks again, cut his head off." Yeah, him, basically. Yeah, because yeah. he loves beating yeah. up girls, and that's they showed so much. This show, this show shows so much in terms of the reality of life, in terms of how sick people are, you know, and and the good and the bad, and it, it, there's. I think it just shows you the world. It shows you the real world in terms of that. The, sorry, not the real world because it's totally fancy. In the in terms of the what people are like in the real world, there's a little bit of everything in this show. It's as hard hitting as it gets. You know, some sick. Yeah, there's brutal. some sick fucks in this show. There's some real, there you know, and that that I think makes the show well rounded because it you want to see what you think would happen, you know, in that it can't be all nice, nice, nice. And that's why this show is so, so, so successful. Very rarely did the good guy win, you know, very rarely did the, your favorite come out on top. Very rarely. And it's happening more towards the end, but it's suppose it's getting to that stage. But most of the time in those first few seasons, Scott, you were sick. You were sick. 
you were actually sick at how your favorites are getting battered, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, Arya, when she's, you know, being held prisoner at Harrenhal or the Hound is trying to sell her or when she's being brutalized in Braavos by, you know, the other faceless trainee and when she gets stabbed in the gut and she's literally bleeding out over the city of Braavos trying to escape. I mean, you just feel and your heart break, your heart breaks for her or when she, when, when she gets to the twins and she's almost there. She's been separated from her family. Her mother and her brother are there. She knows that they're there. But they're so close, but yet so far away. I mean, it's heartbreaking, but that's really the crucible when she was forged. And, you know, I think one of the reasons why people love her is because, yeah, the good guys don't win, but she's becoming the symbol of revenge. Melisandre tells her she's going to close three eyes, blue pairs of eyes, blue, brown, and green. And then she, with the revenge when she gets on House Frey, I mean, when they do that flashback and she pulls the face off and you realize, I mean, I kind of figured it out pretty quickly. I'm like, wait a minute, are they doing a flashback? Oh, I bet that's Arya. And she pulls the the Walder Frey mask off and she tells the girl, let everybody know that winter came for House Frey. That's why everybody loves her, because she's one of the last symbols of justice and revenge. And yeah, she's a total badass. It's, she's, it's been she's unbelievable. I think she's most of the people I know, she's one of their favorite characters. But she's she has incredible. She has to be like you said, the the change is is unreal. It's unreal. Yeah. Um okay, let's move on to Sansa then, her sister, who well from a very, very spoiled girl. Very spoiled girl. And in fact, probably the one that got just desserts throughout the season. <laughs> I, 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 you, your, your view may differ to mine, but I blame it all on her. I blame it all <laughs> on her. It's all her fucking fault. And to be honest, if she's gone through a whole load of shit, she pretty much deserved all of it. Yeah, I mean, if I was being charitable, I would say, you know, Sansa suffers some of the the writing that you see in some other shows and how they write women. You know, everybody hated Skylar from Breaking Bad. Oh, she's the worst. So you can even go back to the Rocky movies and Adrian is everybody hates Adrian. She's the buzzkill. But Sansa really starts out like that. She starts out by, like you said, she's spoiled. She she just wants to marry Joffrey and have babies. I mean, she doesn't understand what you said, the reality of the world. There's this world outside, you know, your castles and your finery it, it, and it's brutal. And, and unfortunately Sansa really gets brought into that, but you know, she becomes a very sympathetic figure for different reasons than Jamie, but not dissimilar in that, you know, this is somebody who you, you start off with, Oh, I can't stand the, every time they're in a scene, you're like, they're just, you know, she doesn't stand up for Arya when, uh, Joffrey is telling lies about, you know, with the stable boy and who bit who, and then that lead, but then she suffers the consequence because she thinks, oh, it's not going to worry about me, but then she loses her dire wolf because she didn't stand up for her sister and tell the truth. But over time, you know, you, by you, the, you notice karma, you notice karma hurts her the most throughout the it show. Does. And she, she suffers more than anybody. She gets beaten in King's Landing in season two, raped. even at the end of season yeah. one. Is she, and then what happens with her and Ramsey, which I don't know, I think is the low point of the show. I don't, it, it I, I thought harsh. they could have done things differently, but, and so she really suffers. But, you know, as I was talking about with Arya, she has very little agency and, and women for the most part in the show don't. And that's the, the journey of Daenerys as well. They're, they're almost, and Cersei says it too. She was sold like cattle to Robert Baratheon. You know, to be a horse for her, him to ride on her. It's, they have very little agency. They don't have control. It's a man's world. But now Sansa, it, by the end of the season seven is the lady of Winterfell. Mm. She takes down Littlefinger. She learns the lessons from him. She, you see how she brilliantly, that scene at the Eyrie when she lies for, for Littlefinger, she starts to understand, I have power. I have influence. And she does. It's not just her name, which does give her a lot of power because people will follow the Stark name, but she learns from her mistakes and she's such a different person where she is at the end of Dragon and the Wolf. And it will be interesting, you know, we'll get down the road, we'll see how she interacts when John comes back and Danny comes north, but she is this powerful person, whereas before she's just a naive, you know, she says stupid little girl that doesn't know anything. And it's it's a similar journey that Daenerys took when you, you have no power, yeah. no control. So now to now people yeah, and that's and that's why I think you know she's also the other avatar when pe- Daenerys when people root for who's the hero of the story. Everybody's looking for the classic hero. She's my favorite. When we find I love her. Yeah, she's my absolute favorite in the whole show. She just she's just so strong, you know, so strong as a woman, and the way she grew from it as well. In there, just how 
like you said, you know, you've mentioned she was just, just her brother's lackey, wasn't she? Pretty much, you know, she was just a lackey. She'd do whatever he said, whatever. And then as soon as she found out that she's now got power because she's married pretty much a king, uh, you know, <laughs> um, the Dothraki king, in fact. And from there, the Khaleesi thing starts and she never looks back, you know. She never looks back. I think once she she has a hand in killing her her brother, that is the start of what you see again. Another very stone cold woman in that she doesn't suffer fools. She doesn't have, you know, she will basically destroy somebody if if they're in her way, and she does it on countless occasions as well. <laughs> so I think, I think oh, yeah, she has that mad queen. She does. She has that vibe, you know. There is the vibe for sure. The Mad Queen thing. Well, it's in there, but I mean, I mean, didn't you talk about you know how she just she grows and she doesn't look back? I mean, those moments in season one. I mean, didn't you love when you know she finally you know stands up to to Viserys and mm. says that if he ever raises a hand to her again, he'll lose that hand? And it's those it's those badass moments. And then I think when she finally discovers that the true start of it, you know, the power that she can't be burnt and, and how she uses it. I mean, think about how she uses that power to one, bring the dragons into the world at the end of season one, but then to really build her army in season six, when she burns all the calls and then, and then now the Dothraki are hers now because they follow her. So it's that, it's that transformation of, you know, her, her true power. And she learns to harness it. I mean, I mean, didn't you love that moment in season season three when she gets all the unsullied and totally in that moment when she reveals like yeah I know Valerian I'm born of oh my God, that's <laughs> I'm born of, of old Valeria. Dracaris is unbelievable, you know. Just whenever she says it, it's just superb, superb. And she, there was another one, um, the, the Tarlies, you know, destroying the Tarlies, pretty much no mercy. She gave him an option to bend the knee. Nope, fine. Here you go, mate. Drogon, do your job. And, and that's the, that's the thing. That's the thing. One thing with her is she knows what she wants. She will do it. She's loved by everyone though, but she'll only do it to those that are very, very, what, bad, you know? Those that aren't, how can you put it? Well, she has the moral code and it's yeah. almost, and, it, and it's kind of, you know, with great storytelling mirrors, you know, even in this fantasy story, it still mirrors the, the world we live in now where she's giving power to the powerless. Yes. You know, she's Misa. She's the mother. She's, she's the mother of dragons, but she's the breaker of chains. And it's, you know, she's not Bernie Sanders, but she's the, you know, giving people the power, you know, the, exactly. the power is concentrated in these houses. She wants to break the wheel and make things different. And, and that's, that's why, why the people follow vibe that we've, attributed to it's probably a little bit unfair she has that strain but only when she needs it the rest of it is all brilliant beautiful like you said all of it is about the people but if she needs it she kicks ass i think it's just the maybe it's the projection that the other characters put onto her because she is a Targaryen. The house motto is fire and blood. And the, and the most recent experience with the Targaryens is the Mad King Eris. Mm. But, you know, she has those moments in, in the scene you talked about where she, she gives the Tarleys a choice and they're stupid. They make a terrible decision, especially Dickon. Hilarious name. But, <laughs> <laughs> which Bron, best scene, one of the best moments. Bron, when he says, when he comes up to him, he goes, Dickon, and they laugh. Oh my God. What a brilliant scene. Uh, that's what's great about the show is, and it is a little bit different from early seasons. You get a little bit more of that laughter and it becomes so much more serious. You know, these, these, every episode has so much weight, but it's nice to have those moments of true levity and true laughter. I mean, the best dramas also have some of the best comedy and, and they had that moment. But yeah, the Tarleys had their chance. They had their chance to understand what she was trying to do mm. and they, their pride got in the way. And she gave him a chance and she burned him. But, and she lives by the code. You can live in my new world or you can die in the old one. It, it's just, it's about balancing that. You know, when do you, you know, be harsh? You know, she had to lay down the law a few times with the sons of the harpy and the, the masters of marine. But these are people who to some extent really deserve it. So, you know, I, I think it's more so it's, it's a theory. Could she slip into that? But truly she's one, she is the, the hero. She's one of the heroes. You know, not like you know, here, 
her new lover John, who's one of the heroes of the story. But I, I think you know that's the great thing about Game of Thrones is it's not all black and white. Everybody has a good side, but might even have a dark side. And and similarly on the other side, Jamie is in theory a villain, but becomes good. It's mm. the there's it's the gray area. There's no black and white. So you talked about the ones that you think most change. You think the least change. So there's three names here: John, Tyrion, and Cersei. Um, quickly summarize with those three why you think they're the least they change the least in this show because we've, yeah. we've we're already we're already two thirds through the show here <laughs> well i mean it goes to show you how tr- george r. r martin wrote the story so that it couldn't be put into tv or film and even just trying to recap it becomes a, an epic podcast in its own right but no i think john is he's very much the same person it's he lives by that rigid code that that Ned, you know, instilled in him. He he's honorable. He's loyal to a fault, even when people are looking at him, going, "You're an absolute idiot. Why are you doing this?" Like in Dragon and the Wolf, like, can't you just lie for one second? But he can't. But he lives by a code, and sometimes it gets him in trouble. It sometimes it gets him killed. But he knows he's doing the right thing. And I think while he's not as naive, he's a little bit more worldly. He's the same person, you know, in Episode One. He, you know, he's told, "You know nothing, Jon Snow." But he he knows enough to get through the world, and you know he 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 lives by the same code. And, and Tyrion is similar. Tyrion is somebody who's highborn. He has all the finest opportunities in life, but because of who he is, you know, he's not a bastard, but he's a dwarf, and he he's the same person. I actually think he knows nothing. But what he shows in the in the in the show is that he learns all the time. So when he doesn't know, he's he's willing to accept. Um, even the craziest of things and, and move and learn and do something about it, you know? But, um, it's not like, it's not like he's, he's ignorant or anything. He's very open to everything. And that's what I like about him. And I think he has changed a little in terms of, um, so I disagree a little in terms of growth, growth in terms of responsibility and being able to take that on and accept it make really, really harsh decisions as well and accept it. And, you know, I, I mean, the guy turned, he wouldn't want to, he's, he's obviously he's a fighter the whole time, but you see this, this revenge lust in him once he gets stabbed and killed, then he's, you know, you know then he, once he's, because I love the scene where he says, my watch has ended. You know, because they say you have to die for the watch to end, and he literally does. <laughs> so it's fine. You can you can end your watch. You're the only legitimate one that's allowed to end your watch, mate. So, but I I think he starts. I think he does grow in a way. Um, that's hard to explain, but but he becomes a leader, a, a real leader of men, and and it's not leadership in a way where you take it. It's leadership in a way where you inspire. You know? Absolutely. You know, where Absolutely. you inspire people and he's, that's where he doesn't understand at the start that why would people or what, what's going on, but he grows into it and he changes and he starts to believe that he can lead and, um, he, he's, he's brilliant at it. He's absolutely brilliant at it. His decision making is, is unreal at times. I mean, I know he's, you can still see his role when he becomes King of the North because he makes bad decisions in terms of, in revenge, you know, rash decisions when he's, when he wants to be, you know, when he's in revenge. But what I love about him is, is he gets more aggressive as the season goes, as the, as the seasons go, he gets more and more aggressive. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Like he fucking turns around to the Night King in season seven, and he's ready to attack him, and then realizes, oh shit, they got another spear. Better fuck off from this. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I mean, he was brilliant. He was ready to go for him when they killed well, the one. Viserion died. He was like, right, yeah. I'm coming. He's noble to a fault. He's willing to sacrifice himself, and he's he's bent some of that like it to the start. You know, it's pretty. A bold decision to, you know, even though he's a bastard, when it starts, you know, that's his lineage, that's how he grew up, that's his whole identity, he still has access to living in a castle, training on how to be a true warrior. I mean, bastards can sometimes go on to do great things, but he gives that all up to to join the Night's Watch. I mean, that's a sacrifice on his 
always been about that sacrifice. I mean, sometimes he does it stupidly. I mean, think about how they tell him the one he even says before the Battle of Bastards, all right, we can't go out, we can't rush at them, we gotta bring them to us. But he's tricked into drawing himself out into battle. But even then, he draws his sword, and it's him versus thousands of onrushing horsemen and cavalry. But he's going to sacrifice himself, and he's willing to put himself on the line to do the right thing. And like you said, it's it's crazy. You're going to go attack the Night King by yourself. This guy just took down a dragon. Who are you? But that's what he that's what he does, and he does it even when it leads. You know, that's the the groundwork for why he's killed at the end of season five is because of the sacrifices he makes. He shoots Mance Raider to save him you know, from a terrible death. He gives him mercy. He decide he realizes we have to join yeah. up with the wildlings. We're it's the living versus the dead, mm-hmm. even when it's unpopular. But I think it's that moral code and that moral compass. I mean, John really is the story of ice and fire. He's part ice, part stark, he's part fire. Yeah. House Targaryen. It's that. So yeah, he's grown. When, when he's they say ice to- and fire, I kind of read it as it's him uh, as the whole story is him. It's yeah. all about John. It's crazy, but Maybe it's John and and Danny, but it feels like John, you know, feels like yeah. all leads up to him because it's it, like you said, ice and fire. He's a he's he's both both of those things. Unbelievable, really. How it turns out in the end, you never guess from season one that this guy is going to be the one that um you're rooting for the whole way through. At the end, you just think he's kind of like the first one who's going to die. Rob actually seems like the one that's going to be the one that you're going to get you know loads from, but. He's gone, you know? Well, that's part of the story on why it flips so many, you know, fantasy tropes. You know, here's the hero. I mean, it's not as, like, clear-cut oh, as too, sorry. Yeah. yeah, Ned, too. Well, you think, yeah, what other show would kill its lead actor? He, Sean Bean was the most famous actor in season one. He's the lead, he's the lead guy, and he's dead. What show would just ice its main character after one season? But that's Game of Thrones. It flips your what you think you know in, in traditional conventions, and it turns them on its head to where the most important character by the end of the series is probably going to become John. And John, when he, you start the show, he's in the background. He's a bastard. Who cares about him? But his parentage is one of the most important elements of the show. I mean, that was also, they tell the story or reported, that's why Benioff and Weiss got to do this show, because mm. they were able to know who John's parents really were. They Absolutely. guessed who John's mother was. So he is the mo- biggest anchor, but I feel, yeah, he's almost, to me, he's almost the North Star. He's been a consistent person from start to finish. He's changed a little bit. He's gone through some things. He's loved. He's lost. He's sacrificed. He's died. I mean, he's lived this epic tale, but Throughout it, he, he's somebody you know what you're going to get. You, this is somebody who's true and it's honest. And if there's any hope for any sort of semblance of a good ending, it's probably him. But you know, I don't know. I don't know if John's long for this world. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the other one you think that hasn't changed much, again, who I disagree with, is Tyrion. So you go first. All right. Well, In simplest I, I terms as possible. Tyrion, I mean, I think he's... When he starts, he is truly lives a life of frivolity. He's Peter Pan. He's not growing up. But you see that he, he has this worldview similar. He knows what it's like to be spit on. He knows what it's like to be uh, demeaned. And so he has this soft side. And he, he's kind of stayed consistent on that. He's, he's arrogant. He thinks he's the smartest person around. But he, he, he has a code that he also lives by. And he, and he tries to follow that. And, and I think, you know, he's made some missteps along the way. But he, he still seems on a lot of that same person except now he has a purpose before it was just drinking and whoring and you know laughing and taking shots at people but now he has a true purpose is to make it a better world but what do you think is different or if he's fundamentally changed i think um i think he genuinely once he realized that his family have stabbed him in the back and uh, mostly the other two more than um say uh, jamie when he realizes jamie's really got no say in anything and Tyrion and, and Cersei are out for him, and he kills his dad. I think from there, he actually wants to make a difference in the world and do things in the right way, and I think he chooses the right side, even. And when he gets to learn more about Daenerys as well, he realises he's on the right side. Well, he might question some of her decisions, but he realizes you know we we've got to we've got to make it a peaceful place but i think at the start he gave no shit he was also a spoiled child he was also a person who just wanted to shag and drink and that was it but that's changed that's very much changed he's now much more serious 
whilst he likes to joke around with, you know, um, Miss Sunday and uh, Grey Worm at times, which is hilarious scenes, I thought. <laughs> um, I do think he's grown up in a way that, yeah, I'm cool with this. I've loved and I've lost in that love. And now I want to focus on doing what's right and making things right. And I know my family hasn't done things right. So I think there's a big change in attitude there. Uh, I think you'll agree he is really carefree at the start, but now he's totally changed his ways and he's rather not sobered up in a way of um in in you know in toxicity, but in more sobered up in a way of mind is is clear, is straight. He want he's got the balls to go and see his sister when he knows he could even die at that point. He will he will go and do those things and and in fact he's actually always been quite brave. So that's one thing. I thought he was brave, even though he was shitting himself in the Battle of Blackwater. He was brave. He was brave. He still went out there. He got bad, but he still said, fuck it, let's do this. So, um, I do think, um, I do, I do think there's a, a few changes in, uh, in Tyrion in that way. And I think it's been massive. Again, another one of my favorites. I, I was hoping he was also part Targaryen at once, at one point, but uh, that kind of hasn't happened. So that's not a, that's not a thing. I was I was hoping he was like the Mad King and, you know, one of the Lannisters, like bastard children, one of the Aerys's bastard kids. <laughs> yeah, and there and that's the great thing about Game of Thrones too is that there's so many there are so many theories that turn out right, but there's also theories that become red herring. So you're always wondering which is going to be real and which is not. And yeah, there was the theory out there that the Mad Queen had slept with Tywin's wife, and that's why you know because it, it was this unnatural birth, and you the know Mad King. the Met. Yeah, Mad King, sorry. And the <laughs> Mad Queen. There's so many kings and queens. How can you keep them all straight? Oh, no. Um, but, but Mad King Eris also had him and his own wife had some, you know, stillbirths and things like that that didn't work out. Nice. So that you know, there's some, there's some links there. And then, you know, there, there's the dragon has three heads or the Targaryen dragon has three heads. You need three riders, but now we have lost a dragon. So it, it still could come about, but it, and it also doesn't how, like he, the ground. how he was so good with the dragons as well. And they didn't kill him. You know, that's another important part. That's the part with John where John approaches and you see Drogon's face, oh, you know, mate. it's immediately accepting. The they kind of did that. How well yeah, done is that? It, the there's music, just so many parts. The music, so parts. the whole thing of Game of Thrones at that point, that scene when he's snarling at him and he just takes his glove off, touches him, turns him, turns him into a puppy, turns Drogon oh. into a puppy. And it was unbelievable because they're trying to show, obviously, once you've seen it, uh, all the way to seven, end of seven, is that what they're trying to show here is that the dragons know who their blood is, you know, and they have that sense who their blood is, even though the humans don't, the dragons know. And as soon as he touches him, he knew he's one of us. And that was, that was magnificent, you know, and we, we always thought he was a bastard, but in a different way, didn't we? We always thought he was, uh, Rhaegar's bastard son. We didn't realize at the, till the end that, the ma- oh no! Did we know at that point? Did we know that the marriage was well, annulled? They, I, I mean, can't remember where that scene was before the scene of uh, it was. Sam. It was right. So we it find was. that so after. That, yeah. So that's mid season sevens. But there had been the groundwork would be there have been little comments like mm. it, even at um at Castle Black before Stannis leaves to go to try and take Winterfell. You know they talk about well, there's John the bastard son, and Stannis goes, yeah, that wasn't Ned's way. There's all these little moments of Ned wouldn't do that. He wouldn't Mate, forsake his so honor. True. That's who John is. So I, I remember there's these little, yeah. there's these little parts that tell you it, because at the end of season six, okay, we know for sure he's the son of uh, Rhaegar Targaryen and Stark, but we don't know that Lyanna and Rhaegar are actually married. It could have still been a bastard situation but there's these little moments throughout the entire show that that give away the reveal and that's why it's it's such an amazing show but yeah to, to tie back into the the changes in characters i mean that's the thing you have for me that there's these characters that they they, they change a little bit but they're they're still you're, they're anchored in these principles and Tyrion and john always had these principles they were always they weren't cruel they you know they were not they they were of highborn families, and but they didn't abuse that privilege. They didn't abuse that power like Cersei, who is cr- cruel to her core and has always stayed that way. Whereas Tyrion always, he had the opportunity. He got married to Sansa. He could have taken advantage of her. He didn't. He stood up for Sansa when she was getting beaten in the throw room. He tried to rein in Joffrey. So I think that those things were always there in him. And he's, instead of, you know, the the side stuff where he's you know he's Peter Pan he doesn't want to grow up he he wants to you know enjoy the finest things in life and not take things seriously now he does but 
he he always, despite being a Lannister, he was always, for the most part, a good person. So Cersei then, the last one that you thought didn't change much because of, I think you're thinking because of she's always been a bitch, pretty much. <laughs> um, I I actually think she changed in a way where she used to get people to do the dirty work to then now she is purely doing all of the dirty work herself, you know, and she is ready to do that. And before she was in the shadows and no one would know it was her doing, pulling these strings, but now she's in your face, you know, since she blew everybody up, she's ready to say, you know what? Fuck this. I ain't fucking about here. I'm just going to let you all know that I'm running the show. (laughs) So I think the change that personally I see in Cersei is that she, it's come from the shadows into the fore the the cruelty the 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 villainy all of it the destructiveness and also she's been on her own journey and I think it's probably come out through the walk of shame where she's just given up caring what people think and just said right that's it I am I'm not taking any prisoners and she doesn't yeah I mean it's it, it's interesting for her for me she feels similar in that from one of her biggest facets of her is it's her lust for power she you know all the children of tywin have different parts of him and she you know she tells tywin in season three you know did it ever occur to you that all the lessons you were teaching i was the only one really listening and he tells her that moment he's like well actually you know i distrust you but it's not because you're a woman but it's because you don't you're not as smart as you think you are and cersei is conniving she's scheming she understands the world the way it is she tells ned you know you play the game of thrones you play to win or you die and she outmaneuvers him in season one and she she has some some big moments she kills all her enemies at the end of season six and the the wildfire explosion of the sept of baylor she outfoxes Tyrion in season seven you know going into season seven everybody's like oh how, how are they possibly going to stop danny well she outfoxes him she goes and takes highgarden and gives up castle rock and Ty- Tyrion looks like an idiot but she also is she's a schemer, but she doesn't have it all sorted out either. I mean, she, the 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 prophecy that she's given by Maggie, Maggie the Frog, that you know she'll have three kids, but they'll die. She'll be thrown down by a, a younger and prettier queen. She brought a lot of that a lot of herself. You know, she puts a crown on Joffrey. She can't control him, and you know his character led to his own downfall. She, you talked about the Walk of Atonement. You know, she had she went from being on her, you know, letting other people do her dirty work and being behind the scenes. She had to go through it and not care about anybody else. And now she's raising to, to her level of power. But she was in that situation because she stupidly gave power to the High Sparrow and the Faith Militant. So she goes back and forth. And I, I think, you know, when she the, her biggest grievance is she doesn't understand why a sword got put into Jamie's hand. Why not her? Why isn't she? you know, the most powerful. She thinks she's the smartest. She thinks she gets it. She's the most ruthless. She thinks she is Tywin's true heir. But because she's a woman, she's not treated the same way by the realm. But by the end of season six and the season seven, she is the queen. And that's that power struggle in seasons three, four, and five when she's, you know, against Marjorie. She's the queen. She thinks she should be the one ruling, not anybody else. And I, I think she, that's some of those lingering traits she's had this whole time. And, and she's had to to go through some trials in order to get there. But it feels like season one to seven, her journey is the power that she always felt she deserved and wanted. And now she's got it for good and for worse. Absolutely. Anything else on Cersei before we move on? No, I think that's it. In fact, I think, I think we're going to have to make this into a two part because we, we've done an hour on, um, on, on a rewind pod, but we're not even, we've not even got started, Scott. <laughs> I, I know there's all the moments, although we talked about a lot of those, you know, the whole time I felt like half of the, this part of this first hour we've talked about, oh, we'll talk about that later. Oh, we'll talk about that later. I mean, there's just so many great moments. There's so much foreshadowing and, and so many great things so about Game of Thrones. Think, it's hard to condense. I think we'll, we'll end the show here and we'll combine the next part with the preview of uh, season eight. I think we'll try and do that. If not, there'll be three shows. So we'll, <laughs> we'll move on with this one. But Scott, I just have to say thank you so much. Uh, for this first hour of the game of thrones what seems like it's going to be a series of uh of podcasts now but yeah i appreciate your your first hour on uh buzz on buzz it's fantastic and journey's just begun and our watch hasn't ended absolutely not our watch has not ended we will be back with the second episode of buzz and it will be continuing on game of thrones 
Rewind Season 1 to 7. See you in a few days.